if you'll turn with me to the book of Colossians in the back of your Bible as we continue to make our way through our sermon series through this incredible letter or book that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Colossae so long ago. It's an amazingly powerful book that reminds us of just the magnitude and beauty of who Christ is and all that he has done for us, all that he is doing for us. Uh, and it's such a joy to be, again, under the authority of God's word. Well, a few weeks ago, as a matter of fact, it was Friday the 14th, I was making my way home. And as I was making my way home, there was a lady who was uh, pulling out onto the road I was on, uh, leaving her ophthalmologist's office uh, with a torn retina. Uh, and she pulls out and gets in next to the lane next to me and decides, I think it's a good time to U-turn. And so as she did, uh, she sideswiped the back of my car. Uh, and it's amazing cars these days. Uh, she completely took my bumper off. I mean, it's completely gone. Uh, a little bit of damage on the rear right uh, part of my door. Again, she, thank the Lord, was fine. A nice lady. Um, I was fine. Uh, no need to call Dan Newland, for goodness sakes. Uh, but anyway, but, you know, completely lost the bumper. Um, it, was, it was gone, and now I'm wrestling in that very dark and difficult world of insurance claims. Has anybody been there before? Oh, my, you know? Getting hit is one thing. Dealing with insurance claims, that's a whole other kind of burden, right? Can anybody feel my pain? I know you've been there. It's terrible. So I took my, my, my car to a body shop. Uh, to get an estimate for the damages. Any, any guesses uh, how much you think that would cost? Uh, 1200s low. Anybody else? 45 is about right. It's about 48, you know, so about 4800. Um, and here's what I did. I told them, I said, hey, now, by the way, I still have my bumper. As a matter of fact, there was a few days I drove around with my bumper in the back of my car. I put the seats down. You're driving around with a bumper in the back of your car. It's like, this is not good. And I've tried to talk to the insurance people. Like, I don't feel safe. My bumper's in my car. Can you please go quicker than this? Uh, they said, yeah, we're working on it. Yeah, whatever. So, um, and so I, I, I get to the, uh, the automotive uh, collision place that the other insured that hit me, they recommended. I went to their place. And I said, oh, by the way, I still have my old bumper. And they said, well, you know what, that's good because a lot of times the original bumper fits better than the new bumper that we could put on there. So why don't you bring it in and we'll see. I'm like, do I want to put my old bumper on like new bodywork stuff? It doesn't feel right. I mean, shouldn't you get new stuff and a new repair? Uh, is it right that you bolt on the old stuff? I don't know about you, but anyway, we'll see what happens. But for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, if you're wondering where I'm going, here's the transition. For those of us who are in Christ Jesus, true Christians uh, who have been given new life by God's grace through faith in Christ Jesus, uh, what of our old life before we came to Christ should we hold on to? Uh, what should we trash? I mean, what should we bolt on? I mean, again, uh, being uh, followers of Christ has had a profound, it should have a profound impact on the way we think and on the way we live. So in Paul's typical fashion, when he writes to a church, typically the way he writes is this. He usually loads up in the beginning the theology. 
He usually loads up like, like who we are in Christ Jesus. And he's been doing that so far as we've been studying God's word. He's, he's going to remind us that all the fullness of deity dwells in, in Christ Jesus. He's going to remind us that it's a crazy thought, but it's true, that, that God is reconciling the whole world to himself in Christ Jesus. He's just reminding us of who we are in Christ. And now he's going to unpack the implications of those of us who are in Christ. If you're a Christian, if you're in Christ, here's the response of how you should live. Now, it's really important. As a matter of fact, I, I, I talked to a, a guy who's been coming to church here. He's like, now remind me of our good works, right? I mean, it seems like it's really important that Christians, the way they live. And a really important thing for all of us is remember, we are saved by God's grace through faith and the work of his son. We're not saved by good works. It's not what we do that makes God love and accept us. But if we are saved, we should do good works. So good works aren't the root of our salvation. They're the fruit of our salvation, right? So that's what we, how we should be living. So what we're going to see, we're going to look at Colossians 3. We'll be in the first 11 verses. We're going to see these things. If you've been raised with Christ, which is another way of saying if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you are saved, then set, seek the things that are above. Then set your mind on the things that are above. So it's, it's like an if, then, and therefore. Therefore, put to death what is earthly, and therefore put on the new self for Christ's new community. That's what we're going to be unpacking today. Uh, again, Colossians chapter 3. Uh, we will be reading verses 1 through 11. Let's be mindful. This is God's holy, inerrant word. It'll never lead us astray. Church, hear the word of the Lord. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you, will also, you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian and Scythian, slave free but christ is all and in all the grass withers the flower fades but the word of our god will stand forever thanks be let us pray oh father god thank you for who we are in christ thank you for your amazing grace that you have shown to sinners like us that we can be forgiven and free not because of our good works, not because we're better than our neighbor, but because of your love and the work of your Son. And God, for those of us who have experienced this grace, 
For those of us who have been transformed by the work of your Son and the power of your Spirit, you're calling us to live a new life. You're calling us to live in a way that brings honor and glory to your name, in a way that proclaims the reality that we have been made new in Christ Jesus. And God, I love the fact that we're not saved because of what we do. We're only saved because of what Christ has done. But God, now because we are yours and we are loved and we are forgiven and we are free, may we live in a manner worthy of your name. Oh God, as we unpack this passage, would you speak through a broken sinner like me? Oh God, would you give us ears to hear your voice? Oh God, would you give us minds that would understand your word? God, would you give us hearts that embrace your truth? And God, be with us so powerfully that you give us feet that would walk in a manner worthy of your name from Monday to Saturday, that we would walk our talk. We ask that anything that I say that is just my opinion or wrong would fall away and be forgotten quickly. But we pray that what is true and contains the good news of the gospel, that you'd use those things to make us more like your son, our Savior, Jesus. And it's in his matchless name that we pray. Amen. So as we look at this passage that Paul is unpacking of how we should live now that we've received this incredible, blessed salvation in Christ, let's just kind of remind ourselves of the reality. It's by God's amazing grace, through faith in Christ Jesus our Lord, that we are saved. It's kind of summarized in a passage like Romans 10.9. If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, he is who he says he is, and we believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we believe in that miracle, it says we're saved. And you want to hit pause and say, are you kidding me? It's not about church membership or baptism or moralism. No, it's about what Christ has done. So oftentimes people will say, well, I'm saved by faith. That's true that you are saved by the conduit of faith. But no one is saved because of their faith. We are saved because of the object of our faith, right? I mean, the object of our faith is Christ Jesus. Uh, We are saved because of him. Uh, We are saved because of his righteous life. Uh, God is a holy God. He's given to us a law that we're to live by, and none of us have. Uh, But somebody had to fill it. So Jesus came, uh, born of a virgin, the spotless Lamb of God, and he did that which we failed to do. He actually fulfilled the law. He magnified it. So we are saved because of his fulfillment of the law. Uh, that he was righteous enough. But there's more than that. We're saved because of his atoning death. That Jesus died a death on the cross as a spotless one, sinless one. He didn't deserve it. We did. He was in our place. And he absorbed the wrath of God. So, so that we didn't have to, right? And so, so that's, we're saved through his life. We are saved through his death. But we're also saved through his victorious resurrection, we know that his life was good enough. His, his death was satisfactory to the Father because he raised him to life. Uh, so we are saved because of, by God's grace, through faith, Jesus, but it's his life, his death, his resurrection. If one of those pieces goes away, our salvation goes away, right? So all to him we owe. I mean, so, so we can't even boast of our faith. I mean, it's the object of our faith that saves us. But there's a profound mystery. There's a profound mystery for Christians, The Bible reveals it to us over and over and over again. If you are a Christian, if you've embraced Christ as your Lord and Savior, 
Scripture will say that you are in Christ. Hmm. That you have a union with Christ. And being in Christ, now watch this, it's as if, as if the Father is seeing you in Christ Jesus' work in righteousness. You are unified. There's a union between what Christ has done in your life. It's not just something distant. It's not just something religious. It's not just something out there. If you are a Christian where Christ is alive in your heart and you are in Christ, you have been united uh, to him. The Bible tells us all who are truly saved are in Christ. We are connected to Christ's life, his death, and resurrection. So here's, here, here's the implications of that. If you're in Christ, you're connected to his life. At the end of the day, you stand before God in him. His life is the one you turn in, his righteousness. If you're in Christ, his death takes the place of yours. So death, you don't have to pay for your sins when you die for the Christian. You get to have a passage to glory. And his resurrection is our resurrection. We are united with him. We are connected to him through his life, death, and resurrection. Don't ever take your eyes off the object of your salvation. That's Christ. He's the one. See Christ in all you've done, all that you do. Um, that's just reality. So when he says to us, if you've been raised with Christ, doesn't that sound weird? I mean, how have I been raised with Christ? I mean, that took place 2,000 years ago. But for the Christian, those who believed in God's Messiah before, during, and after Christ's earthly existence, we have been raised with him. His raising is our raising. If you've been raised with Christ, you are raised to new life. You're freed from the things that separated you from God and enslaved you and deadened you. That's what it means. If you've been raised in Christ, you've been given new life. Paul will say it this way uh, to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, there's that phrase, that union with Christ. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. It's brand new. The old is gone. The new has come. So if you're in Christ, you have been made new. You know, you have a new nature. Uh, that nature who is dead in its trespasses and sins, he's given you a new nature. You've been born again. Uh, you are in Christ. You are a new creation. So being in Christ means that you have been raised with him. His erection, his ascension are ours. A few weeks ago, Charlie preached on the beauty and the reality of what it means as Jesus is our high priest and our king. Uh, what that reality is uh, for us uh, to, to have that connection to him. And the bottom line is we have new life. We now have eternal life. And it's going to go on to say, well, your, your life is hidden with Christ and God. Uh, I love that reality. Uh, you've been purchased, if you're his, by his blood. Your life is now hidden. Can't always see it. The world certainly can't see it. They can't see that reality, but God can. Uh, your life in God's eyes is hidden in Christ Jesus. He is in you. Uh, that, that is a promise. Uh, Paul will say it this way uh, in Galatians 2.20. And can you say it as well? I've been crucified with Christ. There's that union again. You know, okay, now it's somebody's death. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. The life I now live, 
Okay? I have been crucified with Christ. I now live. Uh, I remember uh, one of our elders, Bill Talby, when you're going through your CLC, how important this verse was to you. This kind of that reality that, wow, my life is now in Christ Jesus. I mean, there's a connection there. The way I live my life is for him. So your life is hidden with Christ in God. Christ is your life, right? Uh, it's what Paul will say in Philippians 1.21. For me to live is Christ. Death is gain. For me to live is Christ. So that, that should be our life as well. Um, let me just try to say it one more way. If you're his and you have a union with Christ, he's purchased you. He, you are his. He loves you. And the life you now, he gave you his life, you owe him yours. And the life you live now is for his will, not yours. So what do we do? If that is true of you, by God's grace, then seek the things that are above. Seek the things that are above. These are your pursuits. Okay? Look at your checkbook. Do we have checkbooks anymore? Look at your Venmo account, whatever it is. Um, look at your calendar. Uh, look at how you spend your time. Uh, where are your pursuits? Are they on things that are above? Are they are things that bring God's glory? Or are they just things that bring you comfort, bring you joy? Uh, you know, and those comfort and joy things aren't all bad. They're not mutually exclusive. But our, our, our pursuits should be for him. Again, Jesus will say it on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6. Seek ye first now. The first priority is the kingdom of God. Uh, his glory, his name, his fame, and all these other things shall be added unto you. It's not ultimately about your retirement. It's not ultimately about your comfort. It's ultimately about his glory and our neighbor's good. So those are the things that we should be pursuing. It's really, what he's saying here is our heart affections. Where are your heart's affections? You know, what, what do you really love? And again, in the flesh, we love ourselves. In our flesh, we love the world. But he reminds us over and over again, if those of you in Christ Jesus, remember, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. Mark 12, 30. Love him. That's your heart's desire. And I tell you what, only he will fill that heart. So you, so you seek the things that are above. How are we doing? What's your pursuit? What's your heart's passion? Set your minds on things that are above. That's your perspective. If the other ones were our pursuits, this is more of our perspective. And Christians should have a completely different way than we see and understand the world and the world around us than non-Christians. And the only thing I could think about, and this is, just came to my mind, I don't think it's a great analogy, but when you're as old as I am, you grew up and you basically had the news. Uh, you didn't have Fox and CNN and you choose what flavor of news and spin you want. We had Walter Cronkite for the most part. That's the way it was, right? And nowadays it's like, what perspective do I want to have? I mean, what voice do I want to have as I hear of the world events? Now, a Christian, I'm not saying should be looking at one of those things. We should have our own Christian worldview, and we should see the entire world through the lens of someone who has been redeemed by Christ, someone who is an ambassador for Christ, someone who knows that Christ is king, he's Lord, and he's coming back, someone who knows that no matter how awful the story looks right now, does it not look awful? That we know that Christ wins. We know that it's going to, the story ends well. Not because of us, not because of who we vote into the office, 
Not because of, you know, let's do the best things we can, but because ultimately of his promises and the victory of who Christ, what Christ Jesus has done. So now we got to just make sure we, we have that mindset. Our mind should be on the things that are above, where Christ our Savior is seated at his Father's right hand. Now, those are terms that can run right by us. Christ is seated. There's been a victory there. He's seated at this, uh, this place of power at the Father's right hand. So that we, we're mindful. Let's make it practical. You hear, you get a feed that the, the world is falling apart. You get a phone call that your world is falling apart. You realize of the things you're wrestling with. And you, it's falling apart, and it's hard. Set your mind, your perspective. Oh, yeah. But Jesus, my life is with him, and he's already won a victory. And I know where he sits. He's at the Father's right side. I know that it's going to end really well for me. Not that he's going to keep me from suffering, because suffering precedes glory. That's our Easter message, right? That's, that's the Bible story. But set your mind on things above. And it's, it's, we've got to continually do that, because they typically just continue to go on to just our own problems. Um, Jesus asked his disciples. I mean, it's the turning point of each one of the Gospels. Jesus asked his disciples, hey, who do people say I am? And there was confusion. And the, the Gospels will tell us that the answer was, well, some think that you're like Elijah, maybe come back from the dead, and some think like maybe one of the other prophets. I mean, you know, you're a holy guy, you're doing great stuff. But he asked his disciples the ultimate question. He's going to ask you, and he's going to ask me, well, who do you say I am? And Peter crushes it. I mean, it's one of the best things that Peter ever does. He says, you are the Christ, Jesus. You're the Messiah. You're more than that. You're the son of the living God. Whoa, it's incredible. So right after it's proclaimed of who Jesus is, and once it's become clear, he starts telling them, okay, this is what the Messiah must do. We're going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be betrayed. All right? Uh, I'm going to be betrayed. They're going to turn me over to the authorities. I'm going to be crucified. And on the third day, again, I'm going to rise from the dead. So here's Peter. He just said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. He just acknowledged him to be deity and Messiah. And Jesus just says, here's what's going to happen to me. I'm going to die. And Peter takes him aside and rebukes him. Yo, Jesus, man. Messiahs don't die. You know, you're, you're the one we've waited for. What's, what's, what's this crazy talk of crucifixion? What's this crazy talk of resurrection? Peter, what a knucklehead. You know, one second he's saying, you're the Lord, and the next one he's telling him, you're not going to die, and he's just missing the whole thing. And you know, it's really interesting the way Jesus who rebukes him. He says this in Mark 8, 33, but turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. Man, that's somebody who just, uh, by the way, every time Peter's listed in the Bible, He's always number one in the disciples. Never once is he not listed number one. I don't think he was the first pope of the church, but I think it's just interesting how that happened. And here you have the one who knocked out of the park. You're the Christ. Now he's being called Satan. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Get behind me. Because here's what he says. For you are not setting your mind on things of God, but on things of man. You know how that makes me shudder? He was there with Jesus. He knew that he was Messiah and he was son. And yet he missed, his mind was on his agenda. His mind was on what he thought Jesus should do for him. His mind was what he thought Jesus should accomplish right then and there. And Jesus says, you're missing it. 
You're just seeing life through your lenses. What's best for you, Peter, and you've missed it. And you got to set your mind on things of me. Set your mind on things above. It's probably the best way I could tell you how do you do it. Live your life like your will be done, right? Live your life, Lord, your will be done. That's setting your perspective, your mind on things above. It's letting go of your own agenda. It's called the Christian worldview. It's seeing life through that lens of Scripture. Church, we need to know the Word of God so that we know the mind of God. The mind of God is going to be revealed to us through the Spirit, but through His Word, right? And because we are ambassadors of Christ, we represent Him. That's 2 Corinthians 5.18. We must know the will of God revealed to us in the Word of God. Paul will go on to say, may we have the mind of Christ, 1 Corinthians 2.16. Church, that's not just for your pastor, it's for all of us. We are the church. We're the church in the world. And we got to have a Christian worldview, and boy, do we need it right now. Because we're getting drilled left and right about what love is, and what gender is, and what marriage is. And we're getting drilled all over the place of what's value and what's not. I mean, you know, we can't come with just our opinion. we got to have the mind of Christ, right? we gotta, got to know the Word of God. And so that we can give them truth in love. Church, don't forget, in love. We're not throwing stones. We're not, you know, high and holy. We're, we're loving them because by the grace of God, there we go. And what we have, we've only received by God's grace through faith. But so there, if, if this is true, if you've been raised with Christ, then seek the things above and set your mind on things above. And if that's where you are, then there's a few therefores. Therefore, put to death what is earthly. Put to death what separates you from God. Anything that stands in the way between you and God is idolatry. I thought it was very interesting. He gives us a list of things. He says, by the way, this is idolatry. These are things you've set your heart on above me. And when he says, you know, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry. On count of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you once walked when you were living in them. He says, put it to death. I love it. Don't, don't just put it away. He's going to tell us about some of those things. Don't just ignore it. Put it to death. Anything that separates from you from God, don't mess with these things. Kill them. Put away anything, not only that, which separates us from God. Put away, now put away anything which separates us from one another. And again, I found this to be very interesting. It's mostly our words. It's mostly the way we talk to one another. But he says it in this. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. All right? Put these away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk. Don't lie to one another. Speak truth and love. Put away anything that separates us from one another. That slander always will. That obscene talk, lying. Basically, he's going to summarize that whole thing is put off the old self with its practices. Why? Because you and I, we have been made new in Christ Jesus. We're to live radically different lives because we are radically different people in Christ. Did you hear that? We are radically different in God's eyes. So put off that old self. And the best way I could summarize this shortly is bear the fruit of the Spirit. Who knows the fruit of the Spirit? Galatians 5, what are they? They're love, joy, peace, patience, 
kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Did I miss one? What did I miss? Faithfulness. Thank you, Maya. Um, so bear that reality. I mean, <laughs> bear that fruit, the reality of, of who we are. Put off the old, the old self. Put on the new self, which is being renewed after the knowledge of its creator. Love that. Therefore, put off, therefore, put on the new self for Christ's new community. I, I love this reality. So it ends this way. Why are we doing this? For the God's glory and the good of our neighbor? Yes. But church, this is really important for us. In a church, there should be no divisions or separations. And he's going to give us a list that may seem ancient and far away from us. But it's amazing what he says. He says, here there's not a Greek or Jew. That's a Jew and Gentile. That was a pretty, pretty big distinction right there. Circumcised or uncircumcised. Barbarian or Scythian. Slave or free. But Christ in all and, and in all. Christ is all and in all. If that's the reality, there shouldn't be any divisions. As I was driving to church, even today, I look around and see the different churches, the different denominations, and I pray for them. You know, I pray as I go by Ascension Church on Wymore, God, may the gospel be proclaimed. I pray as I go down this little church that's meeting in uh, Forest City Elementary, God, may the gospel be proclaimed. May the reality, may people hear the good news of Christ, not just here at King's Chapel, but every church that's faithful to your word. May there be no divisions. I mean, maybe we all proclaim Christ. I mean, there's some distinctions that I don't want to give up. I mean, I see God's word, but there may there be no divisions or separations. And I love this reality as well. May there be no insiders or outsiders. If you're an officer, that's great. If you're not, of all the gifts, all the abilities that God's given you, we're one. We're one family in Christ Jesus. Our union with Christ causes us to have unity with Christ and one another, right? That, that union is important. In Christ Jesus, we are one and we are family we are family oh gosh here we go <laughs> christ is all and all and in all of all the things we do king's chapel god's word says that in christ jesus is the fullness of deity in christ jesus god is reconciling even the universe to himself and he's reconciling sinners to himself that it's never Christ plus anything. It's Christ and Christ alone. We are saved by God's grace through faith, but the object is Christ. Some other important things come out of that, but it's all about in him. How is it with you? Do you know the amazing grace of being united in Christ? Do you know the joy of saying that I'm in Christ? That I'm a new creation? Because <laughs> I'm, I'm a knucklehead. But because of what he has done, I've been made new. He separated my sins as far as the east is from the west. Are you kidding me? And how far the east is from the west? That he's robed me in his righteousness. He's preparing a place for me. He loves me and he'll never let me go. And that's you too in Christ Jesus. And if you're in Christ, you've got to live differently. You've got to see differently. Not because you were trying to get in, because we did get in. Because we are loved. Because we are forgiven. And now, some crazy realities, he wants to use us to tell the world how good and amazing he is. God's plan is to use knuckleheads in love with Jesus and to see the transformation in our, head, our lives so they love and praise him. And they want to know him. Don't have to pretend you're something you're not. You don't have to pretend that you're better than you are. It's not about you being better. It's about him being perfect. It's not about you cleaning yourself up. It's about what he did to clean you up. 
He who began that good and work in you is going to be faithful to do it. And when you mess up, admit it. When you mess up, say, you know what? I was wrong. I mean, I think one of the most powerful things we could do to the church is, is repent. Repent to God and repent to one another. Repent and believe. We could do that because it, our greatest desire for all of us is to be known and to be loved. And God knows you completely and loves you perfectly in Christ Jesus. It should free you. It should free you to live in a way that you have nothing to prove because Christ is all and he's in all. We are in Christ. And if that is true of you, you have been declared not guilty in holy God's eyes. That's justification. If you are in Christ Jesus, the Holy Spirit's working with you, in you to make you more like Christ. It's called sanctification. And if you are in Christ Jesus, there's something called glorification. There's a day coming that the presence of sin will be banished from you. You, can't even, you won't even be able to do it. It's called glorification. But until that day, off with the old and on with the new. Amen? Let's pray. Oh, Father God, what a joy it is to be yours. And I'm so grateful that Jesus is enough, uh, that it's not about us trying to clean ourselves up so a holy God will approve of us and like us. But if we believe by your grace and the work of your Son that we have this mysterious, beautiful union with Christ, that now in Christ we truly are forgiven, in Christ we truly are free, God every day reminds us that we're broken sinners. Every day reminds us of how much we need your grace. God, may we be a church that, that lives out that reality. That God, not because we're trying to earn anything, but because we receive everything in Christ Jesus, because Christ is all. And may he be in all that we do here at King's Chapel. We pray this in his matchless name. Amen.